Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Well, there you have it. This is Catholic Stuff. I thought you would start with um, like a Christmas jingle. We're, uh, we're getting oh, close. Oh, the weather outside is bright. I think I did that last time, though. I heard a, uh, yeah, that's true, you did. That was um, walking through the hall here, and some guy was rocking out Mariah Carey's uh, <laughs> Christmas. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, it is the season. So even here at the Casa Santa Maria, Lenten liturgical law is, is broken oh, yeah. for the sake of Christmas music. So There are some, like, real, I don't know, I think, I feel like we talk about this every year. We've been doing this long enough now. Many a year um, now we've spoken of the same topics. Whether whether or not you're supposed to start Christmas types of celebrations before Christmas. Sorry, maybe some adjustments here. Yeah, that is the the question we'll be talking about it seven years from now. But probably. everybody does it. I think even the people who are like staunch defenders of only Christmas during the octave are secretly listening to Mariah Carey in the rooms. I know. It's just hard not to. Um, I think, you know, in Denver we have this radio station that just starts, they just start doing Christmas music on Thanksgiving Day. And it's like, you just want to like, you're just losing your mind by the the end of it. But um, I don't know, there's some great Christmas albums out there. Josh Gerrell's Oh Hello's, Sufjan Stevens. Penny and Sparrow. Do you know them all? <laughs> yeah, I listen to like I've been listening to the them same all. music and then so uh, box stuff. And it's a mix. They they do some Advent stuff in these, you know, kind of. There you go. You find so that you, stuff. So, what about the lights? Are the lights an Advent thing or a Christmas? Thing? I I like them in Advent. I don't know. I get into the whole you know Advent mark to get the lights out, the trees. Yeah, a yeah. Bit, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, here we are. Catholic stuff you should know. It's Father an, Mike. It's a c- cool John, and rainy day. Bon Avento. I don't even, I don't know where I am anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of half asleep, too. I This is uh, siesta time in Italy. Ah, uh, yes. After a big lunch on Sunday, then you take a little nap. And uh, I was deprived of that nap by uh, the need to record today. Right, which but, then you were wasted. Which is fine. But uh, then I am trying to sip on some tea, and my my choices are... Sleepy time. Yes. That's not going to help. Yeah. That's a delicious tea. Right. But it's not going to help me stay awake. Or you've got uh, cam- honey vanilla chamomile. Right. Which is so delightfully right. soothing that it might be worse than the sleepy time. I think it is. Yeah. There's also Eng- English breakfast tea up there you did not oh. apt on or opt on, opt for, whatever. Oh, you're going to hear about that. Yeah. And Joe McGill's just doing the fist pound right now. Um, so we just I'm kind of scattered here because if it hasn't been one thing after another, we've never had GarageBand not work, and all of a sudden that was the problem of today. So, But thanks be to God, it worked out. Yeah. So be careful with those of you who are on your MacBook with the new operating system, High Sierra. GarageBand might have a little think, but we worked it out. So you got to reinstall it. Mike is one of these kind of fix-it guys. I love this about you. It's like you got a problem. I'll fix it. You'll figure I'd it out. I like to try. If I don't usually fix much. I've watched you fix a lot of stuff. I'm the kind of guy, it's like, if it's not, if I can't fix it in about 30 seconds, then just sell it. Just sell get it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. I'll buy a new one on so Amazon. You're not, see, there, there are folks who say, I need to hire somebody. Right. And they start panicking and trying to figure out who to hire. But you're more of, let's just get rid no, of it. No, I'm this just thing. like, throw the thing out the window. and Yeah. It's worse, let's get actually. get back to nature. Yeah, it's the... 
it's amazing how, yeah, how impatient I can be with technology, which is a funny thing. Because this is, you know, what did somebody say recently? Somebody very witty said, technology is solving all of the problems that it makes for us in our life. Oh, no. And I was like, that's true. It's solving yeah, all the problems. That's, you get it? Uh, it? Well, it doesn't respond to my the emails that I'm getting. Uh, it's, yeah, strange times here, drinking chamomile tea and responding to emails. I'm like, who am I talking to right now? What's, <laughs> who are you? It's the, it's the goatee, I think. Facial hair does some weird Everything's things. Everything's changed. Well, someone told me, you look like a French poet. I haven't seen you for a while. You look like a French poet. French poet. Yeah. Someone else told me, "Why is your face so dirty?" Yeah, you should you should get rid of that. There's thing. a lot of haters on facial hair, just in general. I think it's not just where we live, but I think in general, it's just, you know, oh maybe, yeah, maybe a mustache. But well, I don't have like real strong facial hair, but I kind of work with what I got, which is this weird mustache and some. Well, you got a good chin, chinny chin chin, chinny chin chin, the like solid a, chinny chin chin, yeah. The goat. The goat. Well, we do have something to celebrate on Tuesday, Mike. So take your sleepy time tea before you fall asleep here. And uh, cheers to our 10th anniversary of the Companions of Christ. We mentioned it a month ago. We're actually celebrating it on Tuesday, Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe, which we're going to start with Mañanitas. Oh, yes. 6 a.m. Early morning singing to Our Lady. And then, uh, yeah. La Guadalupana, La Guadalupana. You know that one? I do. <laughs> I do. I um yeah. So Well, cheers. Cheers. So I yeah, mean, we're we're doing the uh 10 years of uh a good life together. The uh the anniversary was also celebrated with a great pilgrimage here. It was. And we didn't record during the pilgrimage. No, but we had all the boys together. But it was great. We got the band back together. Yeah, it was great. Uh, we were in uh, CC for a week with the 31 members of the companions in St. Paul, 30, 30 members. So we were 41 total, which is amazing, including Bishop Cousins. We got to, um, at the at the general audience on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we got to meet Pope Francis afterwards. That was a great gift, and he came mm-hmm. and talked to us. And um, Preferreds, you, you got to share the message that we got from our um, Holy Father. Stick together, take care of each other. Yeah. Pray the rosary. Yeah. Pray for me. This job's really hard. Yep. <laughs> Is that what he said? Yeah. Yeah. But it was a good it was a good, it was good. moment of it was really of yeah, gathering it was around good. the Pope. And yeah, it was a real honor and um yeah, it was great. There's a lot we could talk about there. But uh and then we went down to the Amalfi Coast for a couple of days with just the Denver guys and uh had a good uh had a great, great time. Just so good to be yeah. with the guys. Uh a lot of card playing. A lot of card playing. Had a, a great mass out, at good... the tomb of Saint Andrew. And Andrew's in Amalfi of all places, and Matthew is in Salerno. So we had two nice masses there. Yeah, Father Matthew Book got his mass there. Um, yeah, it was great. Great to be with the guys. Uh, I'm not- still recovering from, I think, from a cold that I picked up biking with one Father Jason Wunsch, yeah. who uh, took me out in the cold, and uh, we biked on these hairy uh, coastal highways, right? Uh, which was tons of fun. It's so beautiful down there. And uh, we had some of the greatest sights, but it was cold. I know. I wish and I, I didn't have all this gear. He was decked out. He had spandex, and he had layers, and he had little boot covers. Yeah, he had his little booties, his little footies, I everything. I mean, everything, yeah. the hats and everything. I know. And I'm wearing like a wool sweater and some jeans and my and vans. vans. <laughs> <laughs> but you're riding with him. That's what's amazing. 
Um, well, that was great. I wish I would have been on that ride with you guys, but I was stuck driving in Salerno, uh, getting to that, um, getting to that cathedral, trying to park in Salerno, just, just, in, just putting this out there is like the most impossible thing ever. Oh yeah. And of course, Brady Egner, God's, you know, little seraph just like, bink, finds his spot perfectly. And he's like, that was our prayer to our lady. And they just walk in. <laughs> Book and I are driving around for an hour trying to find a spot. Finally, we're in this tiny little alley. He's like, he's driving this huge minivan, and we're in these narrow oh, roads, scary, and they're smaller, smaller, tight, and smaller, yeah. super tight. We're we're in this like restricted driving zone on accident, like in the historic center of Salerno, and um, he is like nerves of steel. The guy is just like he's doing it, but we're like barely passing through these things, and there's traffic coming the opposite directions. We finally f- see this spot, and we're like, oh my gosh, there's this parking spot. And books like get it. There's a sign. There's a um, it's a bus stop is right there. Oh yeah. And I was like, you think we can park there? I was like, there's nowhere else. We've been driving around for an hour. We're gonna miss this mass. And so there's a car behind us, and I get out, and I'm like, let me just ask this guy. So I get out, ask the the Italian guy, um, hey, can we park here? And he goes, nah, it's a bus stop. You better not. Oh yeah. We pull ahead. He takes the spot. <laughs> and I was like, that's the south yeah, of Italy for you. Yes, so, welcome. I'm still getting played. Two years later. Oh, man. You That's funny. Think, I like you it. You would think by now I would figure this out, but I haven't. So, anyways. You are, see, you are a fix-it guy. Well, while we were leaving, the trunk popped open oh, on the yeah. rental car, <laughs> and there was no way to close the trunk on this minivan. So, we're looking from... I, I was driving the car behind, and Father John's out there with ropes and shoelaces and manages to secure this thing for our yeah, that was crazy. multi-hour drive back to Rome. That was crazy. That was kind of necessity, like rainstorm in the middle of Naples, uh, bags flying out, people yelling at us, but we got it. Shoelaces. Brady Wagner's shoelaces yeah, came shoelaces. through. I thought, ah, that's not a good idea. You're going to lose some bags and people out of the back of that thing. Yeah, fortunately, it all, all flowed together. So. Well done. Yep, that was good. So it was a great trip. Now we're back, and uh, here in a few days, I'm heading back to Denver, and uh, Mikey's going to be here for uh, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Christmas here at the Pope. And, Bring in uh, Christmas in the New Year. In the New Year, and then uh, we will reconvene afterwards. But this will be our last little podcast here for 2017, and then 2018 oh. begins. Can you believe it? You're going to record down there. I think we'll probably record over Villa. Yeah, you should in your honor with the boys. But um, yeah, it's crazy. We so 10 years ago when we started the Companions, Father Daniel Usterman, who is the youngest member. Still in high school. Oh, no. Isn't that crazy? I just feel old, yeah. Joe Haight, who I was just talking on the phone, is a doctoral student at the University of Chicago, was a freshman in high school. Wow. He was in oh, Larkin's boy. little Bible study. Isn't yeah, that crazy? these kids. I do remember them at yeah. that age. But it's nuts. It feels like they haven't changed a whole lot. I know. In spite of 10 years and lots of wisdom. We're getting old, Michael. Yeah. We're getting old. Whatever. And we're coming up, on happens. Our, coming up on the eighth anniversary of the podcast here... Uh, uh, in the beginning of January, which is just nuts. So anyways, all these anniversaries, we're always toasting to something, but it's uh, amazing how time flies. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Time that's flies my dad. when you're having fun. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, it's if been only it were true. a time full of graces, you know, a lot of good connections and yeah. beautiful moments with the companions. Well, speaking of companions, do you mind if I go or do you want to start? No, hit it, man. This ties into companions. Uh, if you're up for it, you've got a great transition here. Look at this. I even you have an outline. You got to roll with it. I even typed this up this morning. I'm impressed with the outline. I, I can't read it from here, but I imagine I'll hear the quotes. You know, I uh, my handwriting is getting 
It's getting. It's going from like really bad to like completely. I can't even read. You it can't anymore. read it. I can't read it. Well, n- none of us could ever read it before. Like I was. So I'm kind of happy to hear what that this is typed up was you've some the notes point where you from can't read it. that I handwritten notes that I had taken during the conference that I could not read. <laughs> this is a this is a guest interpretation. This is what you are doing with ancient languages, right? You're you're just kind yeah. of reading these, you know, attempting to translate and scripts and uh, his, cuneiform. Father John's handwriting looks like backward Arabic. It's like uh, yeah, I like that kind of beautiful aesthetic, and that's what he's going for. But it's illegible; like right. it, it's very hard to read. And um, he didn't seem to mind for a while, so we're now making I'm, progress. Buddy. I think it's the doctoral student because people always told me you should be a doctor with the way that you write. I think they meant medical doctor, but I think as I as I now am in doctoral studies, it's just the total collapse of. Intelligibility. You just keep scratching stuff. Just keep writing. Just keep writing. Just keep writing. <laughs> so, anyways, well, I got, you, but I got you it. Typed it up. Now we're I was able to, to transcribe the uh, Nepal font today into this tiny little note. This is very simple. This is going to be a very simple uh, little podcast. But I think you're going to have some interesting things to say on this as a man who mm. has been a companion and who has uh, done Christian friendship. I think well for the last. Uh, few decades so oh, thank you friend our topic you're welcome our Likewise. topic is spiritual friendship okay according to two dudes one of whom is bishop massimo kamisaska mm-hmm. who just spoke to us and the second is a guy named saint elred of Rivu. do you know him elred no elred. i like that name but a e l r e d i don't even remember him referred to this must be your thing. This is my thing, thanks to Father Joseph Lajoie, who... Oh, nice. He said, you should do a, t- a podcast on Elred's work de spirituali amicita. So, and uh, then Massimo Kamisaska was the founder... Amicizia. Amicizia. Oh, my gosh. I'm, it's Italian now. Sorry, whatever amicizia. the Latin... Amicizia. No, the Latin. I guess the ecclesiastical Latin would be... Amicizia. Yeah, Amicizia. Okay, so on spiritual friendship, right? There you go. He wrote this book. This is uh, So I'm going to take four things that Kamisaska said and then pair it with four things that Elred said in the 11th century, 12th century, and um, we're just going to talk about that. We're going to have a little conversation about oh, that. Oh, I How does like that it. Sound? But I'm going to start Parallel my little, voices. Start my little timer. A true scholar. we know... Setting Ancient voices in dialogue. In dialogue, in a sacra conversationis, as uh, Cardinal Stafford would say. So, anyways, a brief word on our two authors here first before we dive into a couple of thoughts on friendship. Um, Massimo Kamisaska was a student and a longtime friend of um, Luigi Giussani, founder of the Italian movement Communion Liberation, of which we are big fans. Kamisaska was moved to found the, uh, about 30 years ago, found the um, a missionary movement of secular priests. So these are not diocesan priests, but they're not religious. They're not a religious order. They're a secular priesthood. Um, they don't take vows. Right. So they're they like. Usually serve parishes. Right. And they're all over the world. So they have the very short, because everything's, you know, short in Italy. So the short name of the priestly fraternity of the missionaries of St. Charles of Borromeo, mm-hmm. founded by Don Massimo Camisasca, who's like a mix between Don Corleone and. I don't know. Hmm. He's not just a mob boss, but he's got that kind of gravitas. Yeah, he does. But then he's got this, like, I don't know, this, like, wisdom thing as well. It's amazing to, to be with him. Yeah, and you feel very close to him very quickly. Yeah. Um, he's very personable that way. That, that might just be an Italian thing. 
Like he was super intimidating as he would talk, and then he would leave the podium, and he would take. I watched him take Vince Petrocelli by the arm, like a grandfather, oh, like yeah. an old grandfather type, you know. And, and then he just kind of walked. So to get he'd a be cafe. talking. He'd be giving this like intense kind of uh, lecture, and then it was being translated by this guy from uh, the states. And then he would stop occasionally, and he would look at the kid, and he would say, "Is this?" Does this make any sense? Does this yeah. matter? Do you care? Is anybody here like this? Right. And then they would laugh and then go on. Oh, he's wonderful. He's written about 50 books, um, one of which on friendship we're going to translate. Yep. I say we, I mean, I think between you and Eusterman and Coop, and I'll uh, put my name on it, my stamp on it, though my Italian's the worst. He wrote a book called The House, The Land, and The Friends, and I think that's where he lays out his vision of friendship. But it's not translated in English, so that's forthcoming. From I'm looking forward to it. J Ten Initiative, yeah, a new, new J Ten Initiative. But um, he's got a couple of great books on the family, on fatherhood, and on um, on priesthood, and that's how we got acquainted with him during the conference, which he gave to the forty companions. There was a lot of different topics we covered, but I asked a question about the relationship of friendship and spiritual fatherhood, and now it's where he kind of moved into some of his specific points on friendship, a few of which we'll kind of touch on here in a second. So that was Kami Saska. He's now the bishop in Reggio, right? Mm-hmm. In the uh, Emilia-Romagna. Oh, I say yes, but I don't remember. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the Reggio. That sounds right. Um, Reggio Emilia, because I think there's a one down south, too, I think. Irene's listening to this and being like shaking her oh, head no. saying these guys oh, don't no. know anything. Um, so anyways, that's, uh, that's number one. And then number two, St. Elred was... Um, an English Cistercian abbot in Rivu. Now, I always saw this, and I thought, look at that word there. Does that look like an English town to you? Doesn't it look oh. French? Yeah, it does yeah. look like a French name. But that's up, that's up northeast of Manchester. Rivo. Yeah. So, yeah. And right, it, it's well, an ancient, uh, ancient ruins. Actually, looks pretty amazing to see the, not ancient, but the medieval uh, mon- monastic foundation. This was quite a quite a place, and at its high point, Elred was the um, abbot. He was born in um, 1110, and he died in 1167. And uh, so the Cistercians, I always thought St. Bernard, this is how my ignorance here, I always thought St. Bernard founded the Cistercians. He didn't. Do you know that? Yeah, I did too. I yeah. thought he did. I thought he did. So he didn't. So it turns out, just very briefly, a Cistercian abbey, if you're listening to this, it's a form of Benedictine monasticism what happened was a guy named Robert of uh, Molsem in the year 1098 was kind of fed up with the laxities and the richness of the Benedictine monasticism because they had become kind of town centers, so to speak, you know, okay. with huge estates and benefices and these things. So by the 11th century, Benedictine monasticism, now five, six centuries, was kind of building Western civilization. And this guy, Robert, uh, Robert of uh, Molesme, or Molesme, Molem. Molem with S-M-E. I don't know how to talk anymore. That's I don't <laughs> talk most days anymore. I don't know. I can't read it. Molem. Molem. That's yeah, like Solem. There you go. Molem. Left the monastery in Cluny to form a new um, and a more rigorous living out of the rule of St. Benedict. And he took a number of guys with him. And there's kind of a dramatic story of uh, how this happened. You can study this on the well-researched and academic website, Wikipedia, where I learned Dot all com. of this. Um, and so Cistercian comes from the word where they were. They went out to this marshland and this reeds, and, and it's called Situ, I guess. That's near Dijon, and it just literally means like the reeds, ah. the marshland. So the Cistercians were there. 
The monks so, of the marshes. The monks of the marshes. So a century later, they had spread all over, and St. Bernard becomes the famous foundation that he makes at uh, Leval Clair. Would that be yeah, right? Okay. Clair- and that's Clairvaux. Like, you know, that's yeah, his, yeah. and then he reforms the whole bit all over the world. So anyways, ah, okay. Elred is a part of this movement to reform Benedict and monasticism, and he's doing, he's doing his work up in England. So there you go. And he considers friendship as a piece of that. He's pretty, he's pretty into spiritual friendship. The treatise is, is quite good. It's about 100 pages long. It's out of print. I don't think it's in English. He also did some great stuff on Mary and the church. That's how I kind of came across him recently. Is he's one of the great, I think one of the, the 12th century is like the golden age of medieval talk of Mary and the church. And so mm. Elred, is a, he had a great love and devotion to Our Lady and was talking about her bridal, maternity, and all these different things that are kind of coming What's the up name the of the work that you're reading? Um, there's works. a number of them. I think this is his collected sermons of the Assumption. I forget, oh, okay. though. I get them mixed up. There's a number of medieval authors, so I'll get back to you on that. We'll You've got to remember, yeah, touch base on that. that these monasteries are both centers of um, prayer and, like, full-time prayer. You're, like, praying throughout the day, every day. That's the whole life. And then centers of learning as well. And uh, I, so, so something of a divorce has happened between, um, with the rise of universities. So you have like full-time learning professionals, and then the monks are full-time prayer professionals. And um, unfortunately, this has kind of led to a lack of, or, or just a, a disjunction between sort of prayerful study that's both constantly theological and then also very rigorous. Yeah, I think that's right on. Yeah, the, the, the rise of the university. Christopher Dawson talks a lot about this. Balthasar talks a lot about this. The, um, Jean Leclerc has a great book. Um, what is it? In the Love of Learning. Um, I don't remember the name. Oh, dang it. Uh, anyways, yeah, they're talking about the divorce of the monastery and the university, theology and contemplation. And, and a real example of that, for like with Our Lady, for example... At the time of Elrid, the main source was meditating on the Song of Songs. How is this image of Our Lady oh, and yeah. the soul of Bernard the church? Bernard has an incredible right, exactly. commentary on right. song. Um, and so these guys are all kind of meditating on that. A century later, they're not doing that strictly anymore. It's, it's a systematic, academic Mariology, and that's what we have even to this day. So mm-hmm. in the last century, we've tried to recover some of these things and kind of pull the two back together, but that's... That's one of the present projects of our... Yeah, and it's easier said than done. I mean, right. it's academics saying we ought to do that instead of the actual foundation of you know, innovative religious life that right. is heavily um, intellectual. Or right, something. exactly. Yeah, I know it's, it's deep, deep. Um, but I, I think that's right on. So yeah, these guys, he's about a century before that really happens, before the real split and everything, but it's already happening with... So, anyways. all right, I kind of sidetracked. No, it's good. It's good. Good topic. Um, okay, here we go. Let's jump in. Um, so, here's four different thoughts on friendship that will hopefully have something to do with your own life. It's going to be interesting as you as we talk about these things. You'll think of specific people. I I think that's very human to do that. So, this is going to be like an examination of conscience for Father <laughs> yeah. Mike. Do I, Father Mike, do I my respond emails, to emails in a to prompt? And, je- and uh, charitable way. Do I thank the guy who <laughs> organizes the calendar for the Association do of the I Companions? I like of- someone <laughs> telling me what to do. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this has nothing to do with <laughs> anybody <laughs> in this room right now. Okay. 
Go on. So, okay. First point from Massimo, Don Massimo Kamisaska. This is what he said. Quote, he told us this two weeks ago. Um, what is friendship was the question. It means finding a person whose fundamental interest is walking with me towards God. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when he said that? Yeah, that was a good one. Fundamental interest is walking with me towards God. So um, friendship, and again, we're not doing... Aristotle has a great treatment on natural friendship in the Nicomene Ethics. This is spiritual friendship. We're talking about friendship um, in the Christian life, right? which is an elevation, kind of a supernatural thing. It's still natural, but it's also sanctified a different way, right? So all of a sudden, the fundamental condition is um, that we're moving towards the same end, right? We're walking towards somewhere. There's this pilgrim dimension to friendship, um, which I think is important because... Uh, we're not focused on each other. We're not looking at each other in in friendship, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's so that becomes like a real criteria. We were just talking about and it's not static. So, I mean, a lot of times in the world, you'll you'll hear these definitions that are like, a friend is someone who gets me, right? Or a friend is there for me at my hardest moments or something, right? But it's kind of like you don't have to have a destination together. You're just going through life. And taking whatever comes, right, and then being there together in that, mo- which is beautiful. And but that's probably the hi- the height of natural friendship, right? But this is like okay, you, you add the spiritual element, and this becomes really the fundamental. Um, I don't know perspective between friends is uh, you, that you're journeying together. Yeah, we and we and that journey is marked by a. A teleology, we would call it. Like there's an ordering, goal, there's yeah. a purpose. It's got a goal. And one of the great experiences of friendship we had was, or at least kind of a model of it, I think was when we were on the Camino. You've done it a couple times. Yeah. Now. But there's kind of a bond that happens because you're phys- it's like you're, it's like a sacramental almost, small s, like you're visibly and physically living out the reality of the Christian life, which is to say we, we, we should be ordering towards something, you know? Mm. Elred says this in his treatment of on, on spiritual friendship. He says, The foundation of spiritual friendship is the love of God. With this, everything in the edifice must square. Whatever is added must be of a piece of the whole. So mm. this becomes the very center of the foundation. Um, and, and it sounds very basic, you know? Like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so God is to be the center of spiritual friendship. Big deal. But it's not for most of us, um, mm. even priests. Um, companions, you know, we uh, are we really focused on that? I think one of the things that happens if you're if you're a human being after the fall, you're broken and there's fear and there's wounds, and I think a lot of us are driven by just the fear of like, I'm not going to have friends, you know, I'm not going to have friendship, I'm not going to be alone the rest of my life. Mm. That's the big fear, and it's like I'll take whatever I get. I think a lot of people just settle, and we all do this, settle. In kind of mediocrity, out of a out of a desperation for intimacy, for being known, and a lack of really knowing Christ, and uh, we try and locate ourselves, stabilize ourselves, find ourselves in the other person, and it's just destined to collapse. And a lot of us have been through this in friendship. You know, uh, we have to learn from our mistakes, but um, it's a real temptation. It's if God is not the the telos, then there's going to be another one, which is you're bringing to it or they're bringing to it and it's ultimately going to... And this isn't... It's not something as um, kind of, I don't know, lame as um, you share the hobby of liking religious stuff. Mm -hmm. So you talk about God stuff together. I mean, that might be part of a good 
um, Christian friendship or spiritual friendship, that um, God is such an important part of life that it has to be shared with people. You know, if you can't talk about this important part of life with, with other people, you can't share it or even participate together in religious life, then um, there's something of a bond that's missing, right? But then it, it can't be just reduced to um, we share this common hobby. Like, right. you know, there, there are some friends that are made by being in a bowling club together. Right. And you can talk about bowling and its history. You guys history are really into, into The this, right yeah. gear and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or skiing, I don't know, whatever it is. But um, this isn't just that. It's like we, we, we're, we share this common interest. It's like this has to go deeply into all of the realms of life where um, you're allowing yourself to, and, and kind of submitting this very vulnerable place of, of your religious life to the knowledge of someone else, sometimes their judgment, sometimes their help um, in walking the, the Christian life. And that can be very, that's a very sensitive area for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, including myself. Everybody, I think, is very careful to, to sort of protect the realm of religion in their life. And um, it can often be a very private thing. So this, yeah, opens it up and uh, is hugely helpful, absolutely beneficial. Um, but it requires a great deal of trust. And, yeah. And kind of vulnerability. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we better keep moving here. Um, these are all like we could we could do a whole podcast on each one of these though. Okay, number two. Um I cannot this is Kami Saska. I cannot choose my friends, I must find them. Oh yeah, I'm glad. Very you intriguing, that one in. very intriguing line. And the, the the line I would pair with Saint Elrid says, uh, one is not to receive into friendship all whom he might not might love, for not are all suited thereto. Mm. One is not to rec- is not to receive into friendship all whom he, all whom he might love for not all are suited thereto. So this is an interesting. Um, the, I we I think this was one of the more provocative lines from Kamisaska. We were talking about this. It was kind of echoing through the rest of our trip together. You don't choose your friends. Um, you know, we often hear the adage, "You don't choose your brothers; you choose your friends." And what he's saying is mm. that you actually don't even choose your friends. You kind of find them. You mm. kind of find each other. You kind of end up. It's an encounter that just kind of happens. And, and there again, was a piece of God brought them to you. Right. Right? Right. There's yeah. like providence at work. So this kind of builds on that first one of like, you're, you're journeying, you're journey, journeying, oh my gosh, journeying <laughs> together, pilgrimage together. Churnering? Churnering together. Gosh. I'm really not drunk all the time. I just, <laughs> I just am this stupid. Um, you're churnering together and... <laughs> Yeah, it's over. Um, and then you kind of find each other, you know, and then you, you all of a sudden end up uh, moving towards this. And a lot of times, you know, as we're getting older, I think you reflect on friendships and you're like, how did we even end up friends? And yeah, you yeah. and I have talked about that. It's yeah, like, yeah. We didn't even like each other when we first met, you know. We kind of found each other. We were moving together. And then this very interesting experiment happened and it really drew us close. And, and here we are, you know, foreigners and strangers in a strange yeah, land yeah. for a couple of years. Um, well, I, on that point that you made earlier about we've, we're so afraid to um, that we'll just be alone, you know. This sounds very choosy. It's a, or not choosy, but kind of like um, it eliminates a lot of the possibilities. You can't choose friends, mm. not, the, not the kind of friends that are going to be you know, deep and meaningful or spiritual in this case. Um, 
they have to be brought to you. And then you can't have, you can't allow everyone who um, you could potentially love. How does that other one go? You, you have to select between these. All right. One is not to receive into friendship all whom, all whom he might love. Yeah. So basically what I think they're both hitting at is your affection and your love, you know, we're kind of speaking, because friendship is a form of love, but just, you know, your, the experience of desiring to be with this person is not, is not the foundation for the friendship, right? It's not about this, this, mm-hmm. uh, this, the intensity of this feeling that we have, you know? Yeah. Uh, but we, we, we're just so into being friends together. That's a very, uh, we did that when we were kids, you know? Um, this is my best friend, you know, it's just like the intensity, but that's not really the sustainable model nor the real foundation for spiritual friendship. Mm. It has to be something a little more deeply discerned, maybe the word, but just kind of tested, I think. He's got this Mm. very interesting way that he lays out, we don't have time to go into it, where he lays out different points for testing and probing the quality of a friendship. And um, I think they just have to pass through a lot of suffering mm. and a lot of trial um, in order to be, I don't know. Yeah, kind of one of the things that makes, makes me think of is that I've done a lot of traveling over these last few years being in Europe. And, and I've also lived a, a life apart from my, the, the world that I grew up in. So I'm meeting tons of people. And I like just about everybody that I meet. Right. You know, on the right. street, whatever it is. I take a class with people. I, you know, I want to keep up with them. I live somewhere and I meet people and I want to keep up with them. And there's, it becomes so many people. And I've had to learn to, uh, that it's easier if you have, if you retain this sort of detachment that doesn't cling to that and say, I don't want to lose this. I'm going to be sad Mm -hmm. if I lose Mm -hmm. this. I have to mourn all the time because I'm constantly losing friends. It's, uh, that's a very painful position to be in. And, also, like, um, it's not the right kind of expectations. Somehow, you can go through life loving people, and even momentarily, mm-hmm. and then um, actually having to figure out then who are the people that I should commit to, rather than just I'm surrounded by a lot of people who I could potentially love and be friends with. Yeah, um, I'll just keep it, you know, superficial with everybody. That's never satisfying. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I do the same thing. It's like, yeah, you look at me the right way, and it's like, we're friends, you're in, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, And it's like, well, is that really, you know, a sustainable thing? So I think we, we kind of cheapen the language of friendship a lot. Not everybody. These, like, uber-melancholics who just have crazy, you know, I, I don't know, expectations or boundaries around what friend. And they when they bring you into the inner sanctum, you're the oh, one yeah. of three it's people the in the next 60 years that will ever actually know my interior life i don't know that there's something yeah, good about that i don't that. understand that <laughs> but it's also crazy so i guess that it, all of us fall in two different extremes mm. and in the middle is kind of like a freedom you find you find people you get unexpected i mean i i talk about this french tutor this summer maria masterson it was yeah, just yeah. we just kind of found each other but it was such a joyful experience of just like being with her and um just a it was just a kind of it had just happened very naturally so i think a lot of it is just Letting things happen naturally in Christ, not just naturally, uh, not controlling and making it artificial, but just being located in Christ and allowing life to just unfold. Mm. That's the thing I think we all want, you know. So 
that's a good lead into number three here. Friendship is the opposite of possession. Mm-hmm. Friendship is the opposite of possession. Yeah, I remember, remember when he said that. that. Yeah. And then um, I pair it with uh, a line from uh, Elred here. He says, uh, what he is to guard against, this is the friend, purity of intention, the mastery of reason, and the check of temperance are elements fundamental to spiritual friendship. So we're talking about the, now we're talking about the, the kind of the moral quality of friendship. Friendship isn't just something that you just kind of buy, you know, you just get, I, I now own this, but it's something, it's like a garden. It kind of has to be kind of cultivated and tilled. It can, mm. it, friendship can fall apart, you know. Yeah. Um, it can grow wild. It can kind of get out of control. Um, it has to be carefully kind of tended to, you know. And I think that's what he's talking about, the opposite of possession. Um, um, that that kind of deep human temptation to desire to possess things, especially when we're acting out of fear. Uh, I need this person. I need this intimacy. I need this relationship. Yeah. You know, whenever that kind of starts, it's just or this is mine. Right. It's not to be shared. Right. Or it's so privileged. Right. You know, you get into this sort of such a deep privileged relationship that it becomes codependent. I think in some word, in some way, you can use that same kind of pop modern terminology for um, interpreting this in in a certain way of. Um, I am no longer free because I'm friends with this person. Yeah. Or I exercise my friendship over this person in a way that um, manipulates their life. They're no longer free. You know, I have to, um, you know, they have to live their life according to my expectations. And I will tell them when and what what to do uh, in the friendship, but also kind of in their life. Yeah. And I think sometimes we find people that we really... Um, we match with so well. There's so much good chemistry that it's like I don't mind sacrificing my own, right? You know, self and um, just hanging out with this bestie. You know, yeah. But then when things get, uh, yeah, when they get possessive, or when you realize, oh, I can't be, um, I can't have other friends, or they can't have other friends, or whatever. Um, a lot of times you see this with. Uh, married couples, especially, that uh, they want this sort of exclusive thing to the point where there's no more friends involved, and right. they start pushing people away. And it's always complicated when you get that committed. Mm-hmm. But um, at, at different levels of friendship, you can see the same kind of possession. Yeah, I think that I think that's right on. The, it's weird because there is that element of chemistry where you just click with some people, you just don't with others, and that's just that's just it, you know. And uh, is that tea cooled down enough for you to start drinking it? I burned my lips. I know. I burned three times in a row. They're swelling. Ow. Ow. I was like, quit <laughs> drinking the tea. Ow. It's burning my lips. Well, quit drinking I, the tea. I blew on it, and I thought that did it. I know. Yeah. That reminds me of the days in the early companions when you were out there putting the uh, seed out to the birds and all the neighbors would sit and watch. I was, you would go inside, then the birds would come. I was planting grass seed. <laughs> And then as soon as I left, the birds had come down. And yep. Gay St. Clair had some choice words. Eat up my seed. To name you. Yeah, I think, though, if you're, if, you're, if you're finding yourself really agitated and really frustrated in a friendship, and, and if you can be honest enough with yourself to say, the reason I'm so agitated and frustrated is because this is not fulfilling my expectations, which is another way of saying it's not fulfilling my needs, 
Yeah, and that's the possession. Then you just then identified you a spirit yeah. of possessiveness. This is really good. I think this is very healthy. Uh, we all do this in different ways. And then the good thing would be to follow these three questions. Purity of intention. What are my intentions? Mm. The mastery of reason. Like, what is the reasonable thing to do? Like, is this really reasonable that I need this? Yeah. You know? And you uh, can step out. You can ask and then other thirdly, people. That can help for And that's reason. what I was going to say, the check of temperance, uh, the third one. Yeah, talk to other people. Just say, am I crazy here or is this? Yeah. You know, but that's, that's yeah, seek wise counsel. So, good. Number four, last but not least, this is the one that uh, this is just like was like the dagger in the heart for me. We were talking about uh, f- again friendship and fatherhood and how do these things kind of play out in the priestly life. And he looked at us and he said he was talking about American diocesan priests, and he said the martyrdom that awaits you. You remember this? The martyrdom yeah. that awaits you is the infinite series of rules that will stop you from encountering other people. Oh. And I was like, I do remember oh. that now. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he he put his finger on something there. Um, he says, Kamisaska uh, was talking about this infinite number of rules. You know, so now we're living in this kind of culture that's so fragile. You can't do anything. You can't really say anything. And priests are really afraid. I mean, um, of engaging. That's why it's just like I'm going to spend my life sitting in my office and being a professional priest. And not actually encounter people. Why? Because that's safe. Yeah. Because we all know that one false accusation, and we're basically guilty for the rest of our life, even if we're innocent. Yeah. And that's the reality of the of well, our and legal the, situation. There's just lots of scandals in the world, and uh, the church has gone through, you know, our own scandal in our time, and it's it's a shame to find out that um, that priests have abused their power and uh, made real mistakes and have embarrassed the whole community, and have uh, sinned, you know? And when their sin comes to light, uh, it makes us all afraid of uh, whether or not we can trust each other. You know, more recently, there's been this scandal stuff in Hollywood or um, all over the media in in America with um, sex scandals and things like this. Uh, But that's the general problem. It's like, if I really knew people... You know, can I trust their intentions? Right. And in a world where we're not so confident we can trust each other, it's it's easier just to be careful. Yeah. I'm just not going to make friends. I'm not going to make friends with the people in my parish because what, what 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 might they think? I'm being exclusive, exclusively exclusively friends with this particular family, right. or I'm friends with a woman in the parish. Right. That's a dangerous thing. Or I'm um, I'm encouraging to the kids in the parish. Oh, you know, people don't trust each other. And, uh, but it leads to this extreme isolation, which is potentially very dangerous. You can't connect with anybody. Right. And that lack of human connectivity is what, like, it's just a human, it is a human need. We're not meant to be islands, you know, we're not meant to be just by ourselves. And, and the church, so, the church can't be so Im- impersonal. Right. And inhuman, it's like an office p- place or something. And I think it 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 can be though, um, you know, in the sense that like there's just these modern phenomenons that have happened. It's the same sin. It's the same scandal that's always been there since the beginning of of human history, right? Mm-hmm. The difference now is um, we hide. We have better ways of hiding human activism uh, in a modern culture. Um, we can just do more and hide it. 
we have bureaucracy. The whole church has become um, a massive bureaucracy where I can just sit and shuffle papers all day and feel like I've, uh, I'm a great priest and then watch Netflix at night or whatever. And then the, the, when, if there is a fall, it's the, the form of modern media and technology publicize this thing in a way that's never is unprecedented in history. Yeah. When have you ever had this kind of magnitude where everybody will know in the world, you know, at the click of a, uh, a mouse, you know, if they want to figure out what did Father Mike do to, you know, and that's, that's really crazy. And I think that instills yeah. fear in a lot of our And hearts. even a culture of sort of gossipy tabloid, like who's next? Like right. who, who can we delight in seeing fall or... Um, and that's the thing. There's this weird thing in the West and in America. I don't feel it as much here in Italy where it's like this. It's, I think it's demonic. Um, it's total moral and sexual license, like a philosophical um, system of that, followed by the most kind of legalistic and shaming and condemning after, you know, after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like do whatever you want, do whatever feels good. But if you, if you if you even take a stand for objective truth, objective moral truth, and you fall in that, we're going to destroy you. You know, no mercy. Um, and it's it's crazy. Yeah, not to say that not to say it's justified, um, or any of us are justified in our mistakes or our sins. But when you watch when we watch ourselves retreat into ourselves because we're afraid of communion i think he's he's identifying something this is a kind of martyrdom to navigate the rules and um all these different things and just encounter other people just be a priest or a person who just is is real just encounter somebody because that's what christ was and uh, that's what he he's asking us to be so and i think i mean just as a side note i do think the transparency of some of these kind of unmasking of the scandals, uh, both in the church and in the kind of media world right now, are healthy for uh, the overall, you know, good of the church. Um, it, it, it's, these are things that, that, that have been um, systematic problems, and where they're systematic problems, they need to be unmasked and, and worked out. So it's, it's really the level of the individual who is fallen, and everyone is, um, having to live in fear of ever being, you know, um, too, too close or right. too, uh, human and, uh, and therefore sort of being, um, I don't know, caught in their imperfections. Right. I agree with that with one caveat, the hermeneutic of suspicion, which is the, the dominant under way that we interpret reality now, mm. uh, after Nietzsche and Freud and, uh, Marx, which prides itself on unmasking everything. We're unmasking everything. All the church's filth, all of the political filth, everything is being unmasked. Everything in Western civilization that's been, this decadence that's been building for centuries, and we're unmasking everything. That is fundamentally, I think, what's under, under all of this. It's what's destroying our ability to um, really encounter other people because we don't have a hermeneutic mm-hmm. of trust. We don't have a natural, we don't naturally assent to things anymore. We just always with suspicion. And so uh, we, have to, we have to be rooted in Christ in such a way as um, we can be men and women of real trust and assent with prudence um, and with moral conversion, but, but ultimately trust. Mm. That's the only way forward with spiritual friendship. But to end on a positive note, yeah. here's Elred, and this is the counterpoint to Kamisaska's very sober analysis. Uh, he says, What I could not bear alone, 
became reasonably bearable by our combined strength. Talking about his friendship. Mm. What I could not bear alone became reasonably bearable by our combined strength. I like that because he doesn't say it became a joy when we were together. He says it becomes reasonably bearable. Yeah. I like that. You I know? like that little caveat too. I mean, so people will say these fine, you know, these nice lines like your proposed joy. You right. know, all right. of my problems became great things right. because I had your support. No, but this is good. Yeah. This this is like you say, it's hopeful because um, there is more than just me and my limitations. Mm-hmm. With friendship, I can see someone else's life and their own joys, and I can uh, receive help. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, good. Hey, good. That Thank you. Great. Is that all right? Okay, good. Think about we got to hustle through these shout-outs because I think we're getting, I think I've been blabbing for too long here. So I'm going to fire off a few, and then I'll let you get your big fancy list over there and uh, shout-out. So um, do you know what happened on October 5th, 2013? Yeah. No? No. I promised Chad Williams that I would give him a shout-out. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> Why should shout I know out- that? How should I know that? <laughs> that was Quiz Show, dude. That was Quiz Show. That's right. I'm sticking it back to you. Yeah. Goble, too. No. Uh, so, Chad Williams, two, four years ago, I said, your shout-out is coming soon. Merry Christmas, Chad. Hey, You just Chad. got your shout-out, and uh, thank you for listening. And thank you for sending the email and highlighting in red. <laughs> Chad Williams? Chad Williams. Chad Williams. You know Chad Williams? Chad Williams? I'm trying to make up for it. Here's a guy you do know, Bishop Nicholas. He got a shout-out. He loved it. And he said, can you give a shout-out to uh, Joni Holden, who is the wife of our former CFO, Dave Holden? Oh, yeah. Says, that's from Sister Esther. And Sister Esther, we always pray for on the last day of the liturgical year. Remember, Alleluia, and keep going. That's the St. Augustine's sermon. That's oh, always she quoted. loved that. She oh. loved that. I always think of her. Alleluia, and, so, and keep going. Sister Esther Mary. In Iowa and Minnesota, uh, I'd like to give a surprise shout-out to Catherine Wessel's parents, Don and Deanne, in Stillwater, Minnesota, who are awesome. Uh, and your daughter is the best. And we had a great, uh, great time last spring with all the Bernardi kids. And then another set of parents who wrote in, Bruce Hall's parents, Kevin and Diane from Akron, Colorado. Uh, thanks for listening, and thank you for having a great son as well, who's with me and to you. That's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I should shout out <laughs> Dave Edens. Um, he and his friend, see now I forget his friend's name. I lost the little note. Uh, but he and his friend were on pilgrimage in Assisi, and we ran into them, uh, and they stopped us in some art shop and asked, are you Catholic stuff you should know, guys? I love that show. Yeah. And I, they recognized the voices, yeah. uh, which is always a surprise on the street. But uh, I got a nice follow-up email from him uh, telling me his story, and he's going through RCIA right now, and um, is kind of persevering through a rather heterodox RCIA. Uh, Unfortunately, there are some yeah. catechists out there that are not so Catholic. Um, he found one of them. <laughs> but he seems to know that, and he's really pushing through. So uh, he's from Texas. His buddy's from Texas. Uh, His buddy was the one with the long hair, the bigger one? The taller guy? You know, I'm not sure which one's which. Uh, okay. But they're, yeah, they're both good Texan pilgrims. And good. Well, that was great to meet you guys and, uh, in CC. So, yeah. Excellent. That's it. That's it. Merry Christmas. And um, Jingle bells. That's jingle it. Jingle bells. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We'll talk oh, to you soon. Oh, fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey.